archives. Clear back to the Psalms, right? Literally, their archives. Well, good morning, Timberline. So, uh, just so you know, in your bulletin, there's an outline for a sermon. Uh, you can just disregard that. Uh, so, that's uh, that was Nick's sermon. This is going to be mine. So, uh, you, you're going to get what you get today. So, no, anyway. First um, Peter chapter three. You'll turn with me there, and let, we're just going to go ahead and read it to start off here. And just to, you can stand with me as we read God's word. And just so you know, like a little background, First uh, Peter is written to a people who are going through difficulties. And I, I've spoken from this book uh, sometimes here in the past, but just a, just a refresher is that they are people who, kind of like Hebrews, are going through hard times. And particularly, uh, they're, they're, the emperor has turned against them, and they're being persecuted. They're being unjustly treated. Uh, they're being burnt literally in the streets, uh, being killed for their faith. There's, there's a lot of hardships happening and so Peter is writing them uh, to encourage them to stand firm in their faith. And so that's a, that's a little bit of the background. So these are people who feel as though they are outcasts in their own town, in their own country. And, uh, and yet Peter is saying, uh, you have a greater home. You have a greater hope, a greater inheritance. So uh, today, 1 Peter chapter 3, let's begin in verse 8. Hear God's word. Finally, all of you... Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from evil and do good, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ at the Lord as holy. And be always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In verse 18, the beginning says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word today. Would you encourage us today in this word? May these not just be words on a, on a page, but God, may your, spirit, uh, may your spirit breathe life into us, your church, through these, your words, uh, to a church that is going through difficulty and hardship and trials, Lord. Uh, may we hear also the same encouragement that Peter intended for them. May we also be encouraged as well today and built up in the faith. And that 2022, Father, that we would be uh, a body of believers, joined with believers all across this world who would bear witness to your grace and goodness in Christ. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's, uh, it's New Year's resolution time, and I know that New Year's resolutions, really these days, I hear a lot of people kind of complain about this, you know, New Year's resolutions, like, ah. You know, and, and I, I, I know that uh, you've all spent, like, hours, like, on Christmas, New Year's Eve, right, discerning what, what things you would resolve to do well in 2022. I'm assuming you have lists already made out. You've thought this through. Uh, and um, most of us don't. And we kind of mock New Year's resolutions. But I'm, I'm, I know in my own life, I don't think it's the resolutions that are the problem, Right? You know, I don't think it's what we resolve to do that's the problem. It's that, it's that we often fail to accomplish it, right? Uh, you know, about the, well, by Monday, uh, they tend to be obsolete. And we tend to go, well, maybe we need to make some adjustments. You know, like that was a good, it sounded good on Christ, you know, New Year's Eve when I was writing these out, but maybe I should adjust this a little bit. So, so I, I decided that I would put together a New Year's resolution list here that I know that, that uh, well, let's just say in my flesh, and in our flesh, I know we can fulfill all of these. Piece of cake. Like none of you, we will do this to it, you know, perfectly. You could feel very encouraged. Um, well, not so much. Anyway, here's my list. All right. In 2022, 
we should resolve, we could resolve, like this is just a possible list, uh, to nag more than we did in 2021, uh, to gain more weight than we gained in 2021, to work out less, right? Yes. Uh, to stay, to, to, to be completely out of touch more than we were in 2021, uh, to be way less patient, right? Uh, to hold grudges way longer, uh, to gossip a lot more, to hate those who disagree with us way more than we have in the past, to stress out a lot more, uh, and to be far more forgetful than we were in 2021. Does that sound all right? I think we could, I think we could, you know, <laughs> so this is my uh, list in the flesh, right? Uh, honestly, uh, there are things that come somewhat natural to the old man, right? These are natural things that we could do without even putting these on paper. These things come quite natural to us in our sinfulness, right? Uh, we could fulfill those things. Um, however, that's not actually the resolution list. Uh, we're going to do the opposite of that. But, uh, but I do find it interesting. Um, I, I know you, maybe you've heard these before, but I love to pull out every year uh, a list of resolutions that was written by a young man in his teenage years. And so if there are some young men sitting here today, uh, here's a young man in his teenage years by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And uh, many of you have heard these resolutions maybe, and he's kind of famous for these resolutions. But Jonathan Edwards entered Yale College uh, just before turning 13 years of age. It, clearly back in those days, it was a different day, right? We didn't have video games or something. I don't know. But it was just before he was 13. And the standards for getting into Yale College were you had to be fluent in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And so he made it into Yale just before turning 13 years of age. Uh, and he graduated then at 17 and then got his master's after that. Um, and while he was in those teenage years and thereafter, he wrote not, not 10, not five, but he wrote 70 resolutions that he resolved to live. And so don't worry, everybody's kind of like, you're going to read all of them? <laughs> like, no, no. But I do think it is interesting to pull them out every year. And I like to just read a spattering of these resolutions. So just think about this. Here's a, here's a young man, in case we sometimes assume that even our kids... Uh, or, you know, someday they'll mature and grow. Here's a young man, uh, in, in a, a very young man, who is writing resolutions on how he wants to live his life, things that he resolves to do as long as he has breath in his lungs. Let me just read a couple of them. Num the number one resolution is this. I will do whatsoever glorifies God, so whatever leads to the glor God being glorified, and whatever leads to my own good and profit and pleasure in him. So that's number one. I'm, I'm going to summarize these a little bit because uh, otherwise the English doesn't translate, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm re-saying them as I'm reading them. Uh, number five, he says, I, I will never lose one moment of time, but I will improve it uh, the most profitable way I possibly can. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to waste a second of my life. I want to use every second that God gives me to the, to the fullest. I love number six. He says, it comes around, he goes, I will live with all my might while I live. <laughs> I love that. In other words, I'm going to live life to the fullest. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, every person dies, but not everyone lives. Not everyone lives. Think about that. Oftentimes in all of our planning, when we're planning for the future, right, we're always thinking about we're planning for the day to come, and we forget to live today, right? To live life fully while we have breath in our lungs. And this is something that Jonathan Edwards uh, believed. Um, number, number seven, um, he says, uh, I, I will resolve to never do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were my last, the last hour of my life. Whew, think about that. There's something to think about. Uh, number eight is, uh, listen to this one. I'm going to say this one maybe a couple times, but listen to these words. I think we could all use this one today. He says, I resolve to act in all respects, both in my speaking and in my doing, as if nobody has ever been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. We don't write this way, do we, anymore? Um, 
Isn't that powerful? He's saying that I'm not going to judge other people. If you want to just break it down. I'm not gonna, when I see the sins of others, instead of that being an occasion of puffing myself up, he says, I'm going to see my own life as being the, most, the vilest of persons in the most need of Jesus' forgiveness, right? And so when he sees other people's failings, instead of it being an occasion to say, well, get your act together, he's using that as an occasion to go, God, I hate the sin in my own life as well. And he takes that before God and, and confesses it uh, before the God who made him a uh, powerful uh, thought for us. Um, I love uh, number 25. This is a great one as well. He says, I resolve to, to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God. And once I find it, I will direct all my forces against it. You ever doubt the love of God in your life? Here is a young man saying, I, I'm going to constantly evaluate my life and, just, and find that one tiniest thing that causes me to doubt the love of God, and I'm going to use all my forces to fight against it. Um, I think of Romans chapter 8, right? The Apostle Paul who says, nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is, this is Jonathan Edwards saying, I, I want to constantly be evaluated. I want to constantly remind myself that God loves me, period. End of story. It's incredible. Uh, 28, he resolves to study the scriptures steadily and constantly all his days. Um, and on and on it goes. Um, powerful, powerful things for a young man to be discerning in his own life and to be resolving under the power of the Spirit of God. And as you know, Jonathan Edwards became a, he was a theologian, a pastor, um, one of the great revival preachers uh, of, of our time. Uh, and God used him mightily, uh, not because he was so good. He had many flaws, uh, but because his God was really good. And so, so what about us? What about us? The, in 1 Peter chapter 3, in essence, uh, Peter is giving us a, a New Year's resolution here. Like, he's giving us some things that we could say, uh, he's not speaking this in a New Year's sort of setting, but, he's, but the things that Peter is going to say to this church, to these Christians who are going through hard times, is he's going to remind them of things that they need to resolve, in a sense, resolve to do and be, because this is who they are in Christ. So, so leading up to chapter 3, Peter has actually uh, reminded these Christians of who they are. He's, he speaks significantly in chapters 1 and 2 about their identity, that, they're, that they are those who, are, uh, who have been born again, for instance, in chapter 1, to a living hope, that their hope all of their hope, the foundation, the security of their lives is, is solely based on Jesus, right? And he's calling them not to lose that hope in the midst of suffering and difficulties and, and injustices and wrongs and, and in all of that. He's saying, do not lose your hope. This is, this is the only foundation we have. And so he's been just proclaiming the gospel in various ways and helping them understand who they are so that they would be encouraged. And so, so in one sense... Uh, the, these, these things that he's going to tell them. He's telling them these things because this is who they actually are. And he's reminding them. And in fact, we could take this list of things that I'm going to give today, that Peter's going to give. We could take this list and we could say this, that we have already resolved to be this kind of person and to do these kinds of things because this is who we are as Christians. So if you're a person here today filled with the Spirit of God who's been convinced by God's Spirit that Jesus Christ is the, is the sinless Son of God who lived and who died on the cross, was buried and was raised, all the things we just said, who's now seated at the right hand of the Father and one day will come and restore all things, right? If you believe that today, then here are a list of resolutions. Here's the things that you have already resolved in Christ to be, all right, and to do. Uh, this is what Peter is encouraging them with. And so after sharing this beautiful gospel, uh, he comes to verse 8, and he says, finally, all of you. So he's speaking to these Christians. Now just let me, before we dive into that, let me just ask. In verse 15, Peter is, uh, he's going to say some things. In verse 15, when we get to there in a minute, that's the application of what he's going to tell us here in these first verses. The application is 13 through 17. Um, but but he's, let me ask you this, why would anybody ask you 
the reason for your hope. Why? Peter says that uh, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope, the reason for the hope that is in you. The reason for your hope. Um, why would anybody ask? Or maybe if, if you want to do evaluation this afternoon, since it's the new year, has anybody asked? And why or why not? Peter, Peter is assuming that there's something so different and unique about your hope versus the hope of the rest of the world that it's so curious, it causes this curiosity and this question, this, this wonderment in people around us that they would actually ask. Now, it doesn't happen that way, right? It doesn't happen the way Peter says it. it, it you don't have conversations where somebody goes, hey, uh, tell me the reason for your hope. Like, nobody asks stuff that way, right? right? That, that's not the way it happens. But, but they do say things like this, why are you so generous? Why do you care? What's that about? Why aren't you angry? Why are you not worried? Right? The people close to you, they will ask those kinds of things. Those are, those are the, that's the same question, right? Give me the reason for your hope. There's something, what they're noticing is there's something so different about what you care about, what, you, what, is, what is foundational to your life than everyone else. And it causes them to be curious and it causes people to ask. And so, so do they ask? So the apostle Peter then uh, backing up to verse 8, he's going to say, finally, uh, here's some key things that we are, and he's particularly doing this concerning the body of Christ in verse 8. So, so the, concerning the body of Christ, here's some things, of, because of who we are in Christ, here's some crucial things that we need to resolve to be or to do. He says, first of all, uh, have unity of mind. Be united. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to be unified? We, we can easily talk about these things and say we, we need to be unified, right? Um, I know what it's not. Unity in Scripture is not uniformity, meaning that uh, everyone in this room is very different, right? We, are, we have different backgrounds. We have different personalities. We have different quirks, right? We have different tastes. We have different hobbies. We have different ethnicities, we have different experiences in life. We see things differently than each other. We may have different takes on this or that. And so what, what is this unity when he says that we are to have unity of, of mind, right? That we're to, we're to be unified in what we think, in other words. What is that unity about? If I were to break it down, it's the Sunday school answer, right? It's what we're going to do at the end of this service when we come to the table Together, we are proclaiming something that we are united in, and it's Christ and Him crucified, right? The unity that we have is Jesus. We are united in Christ. Christ is what we have in common. In fact, the word in the New Testament for, for the word fellowship in Greek is a word that means to have in common. That's literally the, the literal translation of fellowship is to have in common, and what that means is that the, the reason why we gather and we enjoy each other's presence is because we have something in common, and the thing we have in common is Christ crucified, buried, and risen, right? That's what we have in common. It's the reality of the, the big picture, the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what we just quoted in the Apostles' Creed. This is what we're united in. Now, here's the dangerous thing for all of us. It's not Jesus plus a whole bunch of other things that unites us. Because if that's the case, there is zero unity in this room today. You know why? Because we disagree on all kinds of stuff. Chiefs versus Seahawks, Coke versus Pepsi, right? Your view of the end of time, or mine, let's get a little more. Your view, your view of this thing or that, your view of politics versus mine, your view of things going on in the world versus mine. We disagree on those things, I guarantee you. Some, in some instances, we may disagree big time. We might even really get after each other, right? So if that's what's supposed to unite us, we will never be united. 
Because, because that is not, it's not Jesus plus all that other stuff. It is Jesus alone. It is him crucified alone. It is, it is the reality of what we spoke in the Apostles' Creed. That is our unity. Not all the other stuff. Because we disagree on a whole lot of other stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. I, I think about this um, over the years as a pastor in South Dakota. Uh, we trained up several pastors in our church and sent them out. And uh, when I look back at every one of those, those pastors, um, I had very little in common with any of them. I mean very little. Like they were sort of strange ducks, at least according to me. Because right? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not strange, according to me. Right? See how this works? So, so they were all, like we, I love sports. I'm like a sports person. I play sports. I love to watch sports. They weren't that way. They didn't like sports. Some of them didn't like them at all. Like, they didn't have any clue about the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And, I mean, it's really sad. But that's the reality, right? There are people like that. <laughs> Just kidding. And, but, I mean, they were, they, were, they were strange. They were eclectic. There was all kinds of stuff that they had. One of them even made, he made little ukuleles out of cigar boxes. Old cigar boxes. That was literally his hobby. And, and a strange duck. Like, totally strange dude. Um, his name is Ryan, and I mean, just, I, we had a collection of people who I could not relate to them when it came to those. We disagreed on politics, we disagreed on sports, we disagreed on what's fun and what's not fun, what movies are good and what movies are not good. We disagreed on all, we, we had none of that stuff in common, and yet we could sit for hours. Sometimes we would sit and talk, and next thing we know, a half a day was gone, and we loved one another, and we sat in each other's presence. And we couldn't get enough of the fellowship. Why is that? You see, it's because the thing we had in common was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we were passionate about. That's what was most important to all of us. That's the one thing that, that, we, that, we would, that was so present and so powerful and so in us that we, we loved one another because of that, not because of all those other things. We could overlook, in fact, a lot of other things in light of that. And that's the kind of unity that he's talking about here. It's not Jesus crucified, buried, and risen, and reigning, plus a whole bunch of other stuff. It's Jesus alone. So he says, be unified. Resolution number one. Be sympathetic. I love this. Again, this is concerning one another, right? This is how we are to be in the body of Christ with each other. We're to be unified and we're to be sympathetic. To be sympathetic simply means, in one sense you could just say, simply means to care. It means to show sympathy for someone who's, who's going through something. Like, for whatever, whatever thing they're going through, it, it, to, to actually care about them. We are to be a people who actually care about one another. Who care about those who are out and not in our presence today who are sick. Who care about people's financial struggles. Who care about whatever it is going on in a person's lives life, right? We, we're to be those who are sympathetic with each other. We're to be loving, number three. We're to be loving. Uh, what is it, what, what kind of love are we talking about here? And I think we could simply say uh, the, the kind of love that God has shown to us, right? It's, it's pretty simple. The way in which God loves you is the way in which you and I are to love one another. That's as simple as that, right? So how has God loved you? What what does God's love for you look like? I, I love my favorite verse, Romans 5a, right? God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while I was still a sinner, messed up, broken, sinful, rebellious against God, while I was still in that state, Christ died for me. That's love, right? Sacrificial love that's willing to give our lives for people uh, who who don't deserve it, right? Uh that kind of love. I think of, I think of the reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what's called the love chapter. We usually quote that at weddings, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, it's actually meant for the whole body, right? Where Paul says that here's what love is. He's, he's describing it. What is, what is this love that we're supposed to resolve to be towards one another? He says love is patient. That's the problem right from the beginning, right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's my, that's my struggle, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always hopes and always trusts and always perseveres. That kind of love, the same love that God has for us, Paul says, never fails. That's the kind of love. So we need to resolve to love one another in the same way that God has loved us. Resolve to be tenderhearted, uh, which simply means to be kind. Right? Man, man, do we need this. Again, in the body, we need this amongst one another. We simply need to be kind. You know why that's so important? Not because of what we all have in common. Why do I need patience with you? Because I probably disagree with you on something that you're wrong about. (laughs) That doesn't involve Jesus, right? (laughs) Just to be honest, right? I think you're wrong, you think I'm wrong, and therefore we have to be kind. Right? We have to show kindness to each other. We have to be tender-hearted towards one another. Why? Because that's what God is towards us. Right? It's the, it's the way he is with us. So, so, we're, so we're kind to one another. So resolve to be kind to others. And then lastly, he says, I love this one, the way he says it. He says to be humble, to, to, <laughs> to have a humble mind. You could almost put there a humble mindset. Humility is a hard thing, right? It's even hard to preach about and talk about, right? Because once you start actually talking about it as if you know about it, you kind of undo it, right? That seems like, you know, if you go like, the expert on humility is probably in trouble, right? There is no one like that. But yet the Bible speaks a lot about humility as opposed to being proud and arrogant, right? Um, Humility is so, so crucial for us. Humility is, in fact, it's what being, being humble towards one another is what causes us to be curious about each other's lives, to actually be sympathetic and to be tender-hearted and caring. Like, there's a sense of humility that must undergird these things so that we can even care. In fact, humility causes us to be like Jonathan Edwards who says, I, I want to uh, treat, I want to, to, in all aspects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody has ever been so vile as I. Right? That's what Jonathan Edwards is getting. That's a, that's a statement of humility to say that I don't ever want to look at somebody and look at their sins and their problems and somehow be puffed up with pride and see myself as one up. I want to always see myself as in deeply in need of Jesus. As a, and the Apostle Paul expresses this, right? He says he's the worst of sinners. And he's saying that in light of the greatness of God's grace. Right? It's God's grace that was so good to him. And so, so he's, he's expressing that I, I, am, I am in myself the worst of all sinners and yet, yet by God's grace. I love that in, in, what is it, Titus? He says, that yet the loving kindness of God saved me, not by works done in the flesh, right? But by the power of his spirit in Christ. Um, and so we need to have a humble attitude. Uh, otherwise, we will see ourselves as better than and we cannot, if we, if we go there, we've just lost the battle, right? We need to, we need to, to, to have a humble attitude towards one another. We, we need humble, humility causes us to hope the best in people, right? Humility causes us, instead of arrogance and pride, it causes us to look at each other and go, I, I hope the best for you. I, I believe the best for you. I believe that even in all the troubles that you may be having, that, that, there's, that God is at work in you. There's, there's good days to come. Kind of, like, kind of like the book of Hebrews, right? Where Paul, I mean, Paul, <laughs> that's another question. Well, book of Hebrews where the author, the author is saying that uh, when he's talking about their, you know, them potentially backsliding, he says, but this is not so for you. Like Paul's saying, but I, I, have, I have better hopes for you, right? Do we, do we feel that way towards one another? I think another thing, when you put all five of these characteristics together that we are to have towards one another, is it, it causes us to, to never assume that we understand a person's life. How easy is it, when you think about not being sympathetic and not being loving and not taking a, a humble stance, how easy is it? I know it's my own failure at times to look at somebody's circumstance, to look at what's going on on the outside of a person's life and assume that I know what's up, right? Um, we think about this uh, in my job at times. You have, a, you have an event that happens 
three people experience the same difficult event. Two people walk away, no big deal. They go back to work, everything's fine. One person's life, and that's experienced that same event, their life is tipped over, and they are sent into a tailspin. And the two people sometimes are like, suck it up, man. Like, you got to be resilient. you got to be tough. Like, come on, man, this wasn't that bad. Right? Well, it's not bad to them. What we don't know is that this one person had other stuff going on in their life, and this was the moment that it tipped them over the edge, right? How many times does that happen with you and I? And you look at somebody's life and say, what's their problem? Man, just get over it. Just stop doing drugs, man. Just quit drinking too much. Quit being angry. Stop it. The joy of the Lord should be your strength, right? Get over it, right? We, we, we can easily do that. We look at someone's life and we can look at it from our perspective. But when we, when we take this approach of being sympathetic and loving and tenderhearted and humble, we actually begin to care about people and be curious about people and ask questions and find out what's really going on, right? Because the issue is never the issue in any of our lives. So this is the resolution we are to have. So if you were to make a resolution list, here's your list. You don't have to think about it anymore. It's right here. Be united, be sympathetic, be loving, be tenderhearted, be humble. And the reason why you can be all of those things effectively and faithfully to one another is because that is who you are in Christ. You have been born again, as Peter says, to a living hope. You have Jesus. As I said earlier, you have Jesus. You can be all of those things. This is who we are. But secondly, he turns now verse 9, and then he says, here's how we're to be not just towards each other, but here's how we are to be towards the world around us. Right? So now, now just so you know, the first things that he listed in verse 8, that is the testimony of this body and every other body to the world, right? If these things are true in us, that we are united, that we're sympathetic, that we're loving towards one another, that we're tenderhearted towards one another, that we show humility with one another, that in itself is a witness to the world around us, right? Because when you take the opposite of those things and you plant them in here, there would be nothing that would attract anyone outside to want to be a part of us, right? If we're not sympathetic and we're unloving, if we're judgmental, we we're pro- have pride instead of humility, like, and if there's no unity, like, what would be attractive about that? Like, we may as well just be hanging out in our houses right now, you know, <laughs> watching football. Uh, this doesn't even matter, right? So, so that is a testimony. But, but Peter then turns, again, think about this. He turns to them and says, here's how you ought to be specifically to the world around you. And he's saying these things specifically because they are actually experiencing pressure. They are experiencing persecution from the government around them. And so verse 9, he turns. And so concerning the world, you could say this could be your resolution. I resolve to... The first one is really just two things. Uh, I, I defined it to not respond in kind. Uh, he says, repay, do not repay evil for evil. So even though evil is being visited upon you from people, injustice, wrong assumptions, wrong perspectives, people who don't understand, people who take things out of context, even though these evils are being perpetrated against you, Peter's saying, don't, as a Christian, we should not respond with evil in return. If you're being slandered, that is not an occasion to slander back, right? If someone, if someone is, is coming at you with in, unjust and unkind words, that is not an occasion to then step up, puff out the chest, and give the same thing back, right? That's not, and, and the reason why he says that is because that's not who we are. That's not us, Right? It's not who we are. And so, he says that we are not to respond to kindness. So, no, do not repay evil for evil. And then he says, nor, re, nor reviling for reviling. The word revile, actually, is, is a pretty powerful word. Uh, it, it means to criticize someone in an abusive or hostile way. Or to spread negative information about somebody as a means of harming them. Right? Gossip. So, this is exactly what's happening to these Christians. So, so Peter is saying, hey, I know this is happening to you, and your temptation is going to be to hit back, right? To match their intensity, to match their 
their rhetoric to match that, right? It's going to be the temptation to do that. He says, you should not do that. That is not what we are to do as the body of Christ because that's not who we are, right? That's not how our God is towards us. Instead, this is a hard one. Instead, he says, on the contrary, bless. Just bless. I love this. This is the funnest thing about being a Christian, I think. Just bless people. Do you ever think about how easy that is? No. Let me take that back. Um, Because <laughs> he's talking about people who are doing harm to them. But I still think there's an easier, it's easier to do that than to try to fight. Our tendency is to want to fight. You harm me, I want to harm you. You speak bad about my family, I'm going to find some dirt on your family, right? That, that's the way it all goes in the world, right? You, you, you did this to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you, man. It's going to come around, right? But I think, I think it's incredibly fun to simply bless. Just bless people. No matter who they are, no matter what their ideology is, no matter what they look like, believe, smell like, act like, no matter how mean they are towards you, no matter what. Our, I love even, he even says it. For, for to this you were called. This is your calling as a Christian. Bless. In the face of persecution, in the face of reviling, in the face of, of, of evil being perpetrated upon you, bless people. Bless people. Now, this is going to play out in a minute. Uh, but but I, I think that is a beautiful thing. The, the absolute joy of being a person who can live life and say, no matter who I encounter today... I am going to do good to them in the name of Jesus. If they're talking horrible about their wife and ticked off about everything and they hate Christians, I'm going to do my best to just bless them, do good to them, be an encouragement to them, right? It's fun. It literally is fun, right? Because I don't have to match that stuff. We don't have to meet them there. It's far more fun to see them wiggle and squirm. Right? In fact, the, Paul says it in Romans in a much more fun way, where he says, he says, by being kind to our enemies, we're heaping burning coals upon their head. Now, if you have a little slightly uh, you know, revengeful spirit, you could turn that and twist that into a bad way of meaning, but that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, just be kind to your enemies, and you're just going to make it hard for them to be mean. That's what's going to come up here in just a moment anyway. And so he says, bless. How are we supposed to be to the world? We're supposed to bless them. We're not supposed to rail against them. In fact, let me, let me just say that this takes courage. This is why I, my little tagline in my message today is uh, having courage to live for Christ in 2022. It takes courage. In fact, it takes courage to be sympathetic and loving and tenderhearted and humble. That's courage. If we want to take a stand as a church, that's our stance. If we want to take a stand as a church, let our stance be, we are going to bless this world. We are going to love them. We are going to, we are going to do good to them in the name of Jesus no matter what. Right? That takes courage. It doesn't take any courage to go punch somebody in the face. Right? Well, if they're bigger than you, maybe. Right? <laughs> maybe I should say this. It doesn't take much thought. <laughs> there we go. How's that? All right. doesn't take much thought. Because <laughs> so, that just comes natural, right? You, you hit me, I want to hit you back, right? But it takes courage to, to it, in fact, it takes a transformed life to be able to love people who are your enemies, right? That takes something that you and I don't naturally have. It takes those, it takes the fact what's Peter says earlier, to be born again to a living hope. It takes a completely new heart, and it takes a continually renewed heart to be able to do this. It doesn't come natural to any of us. So Peter then gives the reason for this. He, says, he gives a foundation here, and then we're going to get to the application, and we'll just walk through really fast these verses that are going to come. He says, he says what, why is this, or what is the support for this? He's going to give the reasons, and in giving a reason for why we should bless and not curse... For giving the reason, he quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And uh, I, I love this psalm. Psalm 34 is a favorite one of mine. But he says, in verse 10, he quotes uh, 10, 10 through 12, or 12 through 16, or 10 through 16, it should be, something like that. Anyway, he says, for whoever desires to love life, it's taken out of Psalm, David is saying this, and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. So he's summarizing, and his lips from speaking deceit. 
So what, what, what Peter's doing is showing this isn't a new idea, right? This is based on, this, this is based on even what David was teaching way back in the Psalms. He says, let him, let him keep his tongue from evil. That is, again, don't, don't uh, give evil for evil. Keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. In other words, don't, don't treat people the way you're being treated. They're, they're deceptively unjustly treating you, don't, don't return in kind. He says, if you, I love even, where he says, like, if you desire to love life and see good days, don't do these things. These won't lead to good life. Uh, these will not lead to you loving life. I've never seen a slanderer who's really, really happy, right? It just doesn't seem to be the case, right? And so, so he says, instead, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, that's a way of even saying like, that, that God's favor is on the righteous. Like the reason why God's eye, the reason why he's saying, saying that the favor of God, you could say it that way, the favor of God rests upon you. Why can you bless the world and not curse? Why can you resist those sinful urges? Because God's favor is upon you. You have no need to do that. Not only that, he says, and his ears are open to, your, to their prayer. God hears your prayers. Isn't that great? Think about why that matters. God hears your prayers. You see, God has ordained that he's going to work in this world to reconcile people to himself. But amazingly and beautifully and graciously, he has chosen to do that through the the work and the prayers of his people. So when you pray, it matters. God hears your prayer, and he answers your prayers. Maybe not in the ways that you think about him. I've often said here that he answers my prayers often better than I know how to pray them, thankfully, right? But the reality is, he says, why, why does this matter? Because God's, he, his eyes are on you, and he hears your prayers. He's engaged, and you are engaged in his work. And then he says this, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, you don't, you don't have to curse You can only bless because you have God's favor. He hears your prayers. God will take care of the wicked. That's his deal, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. This is not my job. It's above my pay grade to judge people, right? That's not the work that God has given to me. My job is to simply bless. It's to do good to people in the name of Jesus, even those, even those who seek to do harm to me. It's to do good in the name of Jesus. How does this practically work out? We'll, we'll come to the finish with these, these verses. <coughs> it turns out, uh, Peter actually gives us a very practical thing here. He says, the way you respond, uh, the, the, the way we respond to the circumstances and things around us, the pressures uh, around us, uh, is actually how we show the hope that we have, which is in Christ. We show that our hope is different by the way in which we respond, especially to suffering and difficulties and pressures and persecution. So, so it turns out, <laughs> I, I wrote it down, he says, that if you endure being wronged or mistreated and respond by, being, by doing good to people, turns out you'll probably be asked the reason for your hope. Because <laughs> that's weird. Right? If you want to be a rebel in this world, you don't have to go out and like, you know, go be this rebellious guy who's going to, you know, I always used to say to my kids, like, if, if you want to be a rebel, you don't have to go out and drink and hang out and crowds around with girls or guys and do all that. Everyone's doing that. That's not rebellious, right? That's the way things go. Like, there's certain characteristics, right, of the world that, you know, everybody thinks they're being rebellious, but... That's what everybody's doing, right? If you want to be rebellious, bless. Be a person who does good to people in the name of Jesus. Be a person who, who even when people are, are unjust to you and treating you wrongly, you bless them and encourage them instead of cursing them. That's rebellious. That's crazy. No one does that except those whose lives have been transformed by God's grace. So what does he say here? He asks this question, a, a rhetorical question. Now, who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good. I love that question. Who's, 
If you're zealous, zealous means intense, like you're intent upon in an intense way. You're, you're zealous to do what's right. Not in your own eyes, right? We're not, it's not what you decide is right. It's if you're zealous to do what God has clearly made known to us is right, to do good, in other words, all the things we just talked about. If you're zealous to do that, who is there to harm you? You have nothing to fear, right? Who, who is there? And, and the answer is no one. He says, but... But even if you should suffer, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. In other words, Peter's saying, we, there are fiery trials that will come into our lives. And these trials will sometimes come because we are eager and zealous to do what's right. But if we should suffer for doing what's right, you're blessed. That's a blessing, not a curse. Count yourself blessed if you should suffer for doing what's right. And then I love what he says. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled in your hearts. Have no fear, nor be troubled. Are you afraid these days? I run into a lot of Christians who are up in arms, right? Freaking out. Why are we freaking out? We have Jesus. We have, the, we have the greatest hope of the world. Why are we up in arms about what was on the news last night? I'm not saying you don't need to be troubled in some way of like sad and grieved. But why are we nervous and scared, right? We should never be that way. God, we have Jesus, right? We have brothers and sisters in India being killed for their faith. And they don't seem to be scared. They're, not, they're scared to die, don't get me wrong. But they're willing to die. Because they have Jesus. What about us? Right? We have Jesus. He says, he says, we should not fear them, nor should we be troubled at all. But instead, we should, in our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Or another translation, which I like well, it says, set apart Christ as Lord. Right? In other words, what is our hope? Our hope is Christ. Set him apart in your life. In other words, have a singular focus on Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the hope that we have. Put your confidence in him. And when your confidence is in him, all this other stuff can happen to you. And you can trust him and you can have hope and you don't need to be afraid. He says, and then always be prepared. If you're living your life this way, then be prepared to make a defense or to, to give the answer, another translation says, to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. And then I love what he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect, right? When somebody invites you or gives you that little prompting that you get to share with them the reason for your hope, do it with gentleness and respect. Be soft about it. The gospel was never intended to be beaten over people's heads ever, right? Right? Just be soft about it. Just just naturally share what God has done. And he says, having a good conscience, having a clear conscience. In other words, uh, you're, when, when, we, when we have integrity in our lives, when we are gentle with people, when we simply are living our lives and people ask us and we are faithfully just sharing honestly with them, we can have a clear conscience so that, I love this last part, my favorite, so that when you're slandered, when you're slandered, those who revile you, there's that word again, those that revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I think that's great. Like just bless people, love people, share with people, care for people, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter, right? None of that stuff matters. It's only Christ. So just put Christ on display in every attitude, in every thought, in every word, in every action that you take, Put Christ on display in that stuff so that, like, so that when they're slandering you, they're slandering you while you're just loving people, caring for people. It's really difficult. Have you ever had that happen? Like, you want to be mad at somebody, but they're being really nice to you? Doesn't that tick you off sometimes? <laughs> right? It's like, no, I want to be mad. Stop it. Like, so, right? And, and, and yet they're just being sweet and kind. You're like, Ugh. Right? It's hard. It's hard to be mad at someone who's just blessing you, loving you. Let's, let's make it hard for the world to slander us. Let's make it difficult. And I think as we do that, then we can have a clear conscience, right? Right? 
I have nothing to fear. We have a clear conscience that, that I've just been doing good. And when someone comes and they're angry with you, you'll be like, I'm confused. <laughs> I always think of that with, with Christmas. Like, what part of the peace and joy and all that is so offensive? Like, I'm confused. You know, like, our, our hope for the world is that they would have peace in Christ. So that there would be joy in the Lord. Like, I don't know. What is... This is terrible. It sounds horrible. Like, you know, like, you, you people are so nice. How terrible is that? Like, make it difficult on the world. Uh, simply do good to people. And he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, our faith often is put on display far better um, in the midst of difficulties and pressure than in times of peace, right? And and I think that... Uh, I think we, we find ourselves oftentimes, I don't know about you, I want to fight against those times. I want to get out of the hard things. I want, the, I want 2022 to be better than 2021. And maybe God's saying no. It's his will that things will be more difficult in 2022 so that the, the goodness and the grace of God will be displayed more in our lives through that than through, through good things, through peacetime, right? And so we have to trust God with that, whatever that looks like. We're, that's his deal. He, he, he's at work. But what we're going to do is we're going to be united, we're going to be sympathetic, we're going to be loving and tender-hearted and humble. We're going, to, we're going to not repay evil for evil, we're going to bless and do good to people and put God on display that he would be glorified. And I love, why can we do all this? He gives another purpose statement. This whole thing is hard to not go to the end of the text, but he says, for Christ also suffered. Sometimes uh, I find myself in the midst of suffering going... What gives, God? Like, come on, man. And then he goes, um, who do you think you are? Like, Jesus suffered? Like, do you think you're above him? <laughs> like, you think you're better than him? Like, he suffered, and it was, it was the best thing for the world, right? In his suffering, he puts on display God's grace more than any other time, right? And, and so, so uh, that's really what he's saying at the end of this. He's saying, why can you bless and not? Jesus suffered. And, and what did he do? It says he did not open his mouth. The Son of God puts God on display in that way. That let's pray for him to do the same in us, that we would be gentle, that we would be kind, that we would be loving towards the world around us and towards one another. Can we do that for 2022? There's our New Year's resolution, right? We got it? No problem. Piece of cake? Right. Okay. So <laughs> this is why the gospel matters, right? Because you and I do not have this in us at all. We need Jesus, right? And so what we're going to do now, I'm going to pray, but when, when I get done praying, we're going to come to this table and literally put on display our unity together. When you come to this table, we are saying together that we are united right here. It's the, it's the life and the death of Christ that is what brings us together. This is what binds us together. This is why we are here today as the body of Christ. And so let us come today and display and, and proclaim and confess our unity in Christ as we take communion. Let's pray.